moment, excuse me, sorry about that. I want you to go back to the moment when you uh, first became aware of God's provision for you through Jesus Christ. And that moment where you gave your life to the Lord, you surrendered your life to him. I want you to think about the moments that, that came after that. Uh, maybe you had high expectations that this would be the turning point in your life, and, and hopefully it was. I mean, anytime the Holy Spirit of God comes in part and live within you, there's definitely going to be changes that take place. But how many of you remembered at, at some point during that time afterwards, there came a time of discouragement? There came a time when you started questioning, you know, is this really, am I really saved? Am I, am I really being transformed? Are things really turning around? And, and I guarantee you, for many of you, you had high expectations of what it means to be saved. But then all of a sudden, you started being fully aware of your old life, too. All of a sudden, that old nature started creeping in. All of a sudden, the desires that the old nature desired and wanted was still there. And, and for some of us, maybe it was shocking. Maybe we thought all that would be taken away. And the only thing that would be left is, is just communion and fellowship with God. And, and, and I wouldn't do things that, that would be wrong anymore. And evil would depart and sin would depart. High expectations, right? Well, you see, there's something that goes on in each of us. When we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, let me tell you one thing that I noticed immediately, even as a child, that there was an inner struggle. There was an inner, inner battle going on in my soul. And that's what happens when we give our lives to Christ or something that, that, that goes beyond where we are and, and things that we are dealing with. And, and this is the subject matter of today's sermon. So look at the introduction on your outline. So far in this section of Romans, we are called to live under grace and above sin and the law. Now we are challenged to live above the appetites and the attitudes of our flesh. It is here that Paul shares his own personal inner struggles, which all of us, I believe, can identify with here today because we're living in that struggle. There's not probably moments that we live in which we're not aware of this inner struggle. The desire to do good, but sometimes it eludes us and the desire to, to not do bad, but, but all of a sudden we find ourselves there and sin is present before us. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to take you through this, this personal testimony of Paul that we're going to read here in chapter 7. And I believe it's one of the most transparent things that we see as, uh, as, as what Paul has written. And so the first thing I want you to see are the inner contenders, the inner contenders, those, that, those things that live within you. So turn over to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to come back to Romans 7 in just a moment, but turn to Galatians 5. When you come to know Christ, here's what you need to be aware of. You add a new nature in your life. Some, trans, some uh, writings will tell us, that, and Paul has said this, that when we come to know Christ, all of a sudden our spirit becomes alive. There's something that is new within us. There's a new awareness. So there's a new nature that wants to do what is right, but yet there's still that old nature that wants to go the ways of old. So the first thing that we are dealing with is what we call the flesh, the flesh. What does Paul say concerning the flesh? Look at verse 19 of Galatians chapter five. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. He, what he's saying there is when the flesh begins to, to make its move, when the flesh begins to have a desire, when the flesh begins to, to lust after something or has a desire to embrace something, he's, what he's saying is it's very evident when that takes place. I think every one of us in this room 
know exactly what Paul's talking about. We're very evident. It's when someone does us wrong and all of a sudden there's something that boils within us. That's the evidence of the flesh. It means when something is put before us that possibly we shouldn't have before us and all of a sudden we're drawn to that. That is the evidence of the flesh. He goes on and gives us all these examples. He says, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, uh, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also, also told you in past, that those who practice such things, now let me help you understand this, those who identify with these things, those who live in such of a lifestyle of these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now let me tell you about the flesh. The flesh wants what the flesh wants. How many of you know that? How many of you have lived that? Now, a cute way that we try to uh, uh, maybe put a little charm to that thought is we don't necessarily say the, the flesh wants what the flesh wants. Many times in our secular society, what we say, the heart wants what the heart wants. And I'll be honest with you, it sounds good, but it's not good. Not in the context that our society puts that phrase in. The flesh, however, wants what the flesh wants. Now, your old nature, your flesh, will never change. Did you know that? Your flesh will never change. So many times I think we think that we can whip it into shape, that we can take our flesh and we can discipline it, that we can take our flesh and we can change its desires. You will never be able to do that. You can't do it. You cannot argue with the flesh. You cannot rationalize with the flesh. You can't negotiate with the flesh. You know what the Bible tells you? The only thing the Bible tells you to do about the flesh? Put it to death. Crucify it. You know why? Because you can't discipline. You can't shape it up. It's a part of you that will always move towards evil, will move towards sin, move you away from the, the purposes and the awareness of who God is in your life. It will always seek to move you in that direction. And it's a direction that we as believers in Christ should never want to go to. But many times we find ourselves there. So, so it's going to be there as long as we are in this body. So you have to learn how to win the battle over the flesh. You've got to learn how to do that. The Bible talks about it. If you're going to Ephesians chapter 6, you're going to see that, that God, through Paul's writing, introduces us to a whole armor that we wear to stand against it, to stand against, not only against the world and the enemy, but also our own flesh. And the thing that we need to be aware of is a big contender in our lives. Next, we see not only the contender of the flesh, but also the contender of the spirit. You see, the spirit is something that, 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 that you became aware of when you gave your life to Christ. All of a sudden, because that spirit was quickened or made alive in you or the spirit of God was put in you, all of a sudden there's a whole new awareness of, of what your life can be and what God desires it to be. And so now, because you've given your life to Christ, you've got those two that are contending with one another. How do we know that? Well, Galatians chapter 5 tells us the other side of this. In Galatians 5, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit, by the way, I think Paul would probably say the works of the flesh are evident. I think he would probably say the same thing about this. The, the, the works of the Spirit are also evident. Also evident. How do they display themselves? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. What do you mean there is no law? Well, I've already shown you that Paul's already written that we're living above the law. We're no longer bound to the complexities of the do's and don'ts. We are now officially in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, the Spirit of God has come to live within us. And because of that, the context of our life has changed. Not only what we see, our perspectives, but how, how we make decisions, how we come to places of wisdom in our life, and how God's purpose has been placed there for us to accomplish what He desires us to accomplish. So the words of the Spirit, they're also evident. It says in verse 24, And those who are Christ... What have they done with the flesh? They've crucified it. What, what did they crucify with it? Well, it's passions and it's desires. If we live, verse 25, look at, look at the challenge he says. If we live in the spirit, it, basically you can say this. If we made the decision to live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us also live the decision that we made to choose Christ over our flesh, to choose the spirit over our flesh. Next, we see the inner struggle or the inner struggles. Look at uh, chapter five of Galatians, verse 16. He, he, he just makes no bones about it. Here's what he says. And this is going on within each of us. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you say, okay, give me a sign that, that I'm saved. This is one of the best signs you'll ever receive. When you become aware of what's going on within you, here's what he says in verse 16. He says, I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. They're literally going after one another. There's an inner struggle that is principled in the life of a believer. It is there. We are aware of it. There's that inner struggle. And these are contrary to one another. I mean, they're going in totally different directions, have totally different per, uh, uh, perspectives so that you do not do the things that you wish I want you to think back this past week. Is there something that you did that you wish you had not done? Now, I'm not talking about at the end of it, now you're reaping the consequences and you wish you hadn't have done it based on that. I'm talking about going into it. You would have never thought you were capable of doing what you did or having the reaction that you did. You might have thought, well, you know something? When it comes to God and me growing in him and the spirit, I, I, think I, I think my responses when someone comes at me, I think they're going to be the fruit of the spirit. And all of a sudden this week you found out that you've taken a couple steps back. Anybody relate to that? Anybody? Yeah, we've been there. And Paul's talking about it. He says in verse 18, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. What, what does that mean? That, that, the word law keeps coming up. Well, in this context, when he says if you're led by the Spirit, it speaks of that relationship. There's a new relationship that's within you, your relationship with Christ as it intersects with the, 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 the Holy Spirit and what he's doing in your life. But if you're not under the law, what does that mean? It means you're not guided by just a simple list of do's and don'ts. All of a sudden now, there's a relationship that comes with this. And he's saying, you know something? If you want to overcome the flesh, you need to realize that. There's a relationship that's taking place within you. So we see the inner struggle. Turn now to Romans chapter 7. We're through with Galatians. Turn to Romans 7. Now in Romans 7, Paul gives us a portrait of the inner struggle of the Christian. 
And I'll be honest with you, it's really his autobiography as it relates to the inner struggle that he faces. And I guarantee you, every one of us can relate to what he's talking about. We can relate to this. How many of you really enjoy it when these New Testament writers just get right honest about things? It's almost refreshing. How many of you like the fact in the Old Testament that, that there are many heroes there in the Old Testament, but boy, I tell you, God exposes the whole life. You, you look at King David, wrote two-thirds of the Psalms. Many of our praise songs are based on the Psalms. Two-thirds of them, David wrote. But you know what? The Bible doesn't just talk about how great David was. The Bible talks about his weaknesses. It talks about his failures. And y'all, we are all plagued in that. But yet the Bible goes on to say, even in the New Testament, that, that, that he was after the heart of God. And we need to realize that, that there is that struggle. There's that want to. So the first thing we see with the inner struggle is the condition, the condition. Paul is saying that he has a problem. Before you ever have victory in your life, you know what you have to do? You've got to admit you have a problem. That's where it all starts. If you live in denial that there's a problem there, guess what? You'll never move to victory. It will always be a place of defeat in your life. So how did this condition come about? How many of you remember the story of Adam and Eve? You remember the, the fall of man? Do you remember the whole story in Genesis chapter 3? When all of a sudden they disobeyed God and, and all of a sudden they plunge all of humanity, all of creation into a fallen existence? You remember the story? All of a sudden everything changed. Let me tell you what changed in humanity. Let me tell you what changed in, in Adam and Eve, and it was sent to us. We, we've inherited the, the description I'm getting ready to give you. Look on your outline. The fall of man, the flesh became self-centered. If you want to put in parentheses beside that, put self-aware. The, 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 the flesh became self-centered, self-aware. I want what I want. Okay, how many of you are aware of that lives within you? You're aware of that, right? How about this one? The body developed unhealthy appetites. All of a sudden, there was the desire for things that were outside the plan of God. All of a sudden, because of the fall of man, there was a door that was open in which the appetites became alive in such a way that desire and lust began to fill the heart of humanity. How about this one? The heart became filled with pride, filled with pride. The will became rebellious. The mind became perverted and deceived. The conscience was dulled. The innocence of man was lost. Now, let me just tell you this. You were born into that condition. You're born into it. You didn't all of a sudden say, well, let me see how bad I can mess this life up. No, you were born in that condition. That's been handed down. You can go back and thank your parents for it if you'd like. Or you can go all the way back to Adam and Eve and thank them. Whatever you want to do. That's what you were handed. And I think every one of us in this room, unless we are dealing with major issues of pride, can relate to this description. We are aware of these things that pop out within us. And we're talking about this inner struggle. So look at Romans chapter 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. You know what he's saying there? We know that the law is good. The law does have a purpose. 
The law does reveal the character and the nature of God. The law is that thing that makes us aware of where, our fall, where we failed God and what needs to be addressed. So the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. I, I live in the flesh and I'm sold under sin. Now this is a terrible predicament. That means I'm in bondage to sin and, and my flesh wants it and just wants it and just wants it. And there's a struggle here. Sin and the flesh wants to dominate your life. The key to Romans 7, this is kind of interesting. Paul's given his autobiography on, on how he deals with the inner struggle. The key word in Romans 7 is the word I. The word I is used 27 times in 12 verses. Paul has an I problem. You, 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 can you relate to it? Who's your worst enemy? Some of you be saying that woman God gave me or that man God gave me or them children, if that, I mean, everything went down. Uh, the devil, the world. No, you are your biggest problem. And we all need to admit that. I'm my biggest problem. When I don't see things correctly and I have a different perspective than the, than the word of God and what he presents as truth, I'm the one that has the problem. And what we need to recognize is it's there. And Paul's saying, Paul is definitely saying, I have an eye problem. And that is our problem, a self, the self, the old nature. As I said, the biggest problem is not the enemy. Our biggest problem is us. Our old nature, the flesh, continually wants to do what is wrong. While our new nature, the spirit, wants to do what is right. And there is a war. There is an inner conflict. There's an inner struggle. Y'all, that is our condition don't raise your hand, but let me ask you a simple question. Are you aware of this condition? If you're honest with yourself, you got to say, I'm fully aware. If you're sitting there and you're in denial or you've never dealt with the condition or, or guess what? There's a, there, there's a big part of you that you, you need to understand. You may not be in relationship with God the way you think you are because you will be aware of this inner struggle. Next, we see not only the condition of our inner struggle, but the confusion that leaves us, that, that brings us. Look at Romans chapter 7, verse 15. Paul is saying this. Think about this. For what I am doing, now think about this. This is written in the present tense. There's been many times Paul's described his life in the past tense. How many of you are aware of passages like that? Especially on Wednesday nights. If you're part of that Wednesday night study, we're all we're really getting into this Paul thing and what he what he's saying about different things. But let me tell you this: Paul is writing this in the present. This is a man who is what we believe is on his third missionary journey. He has made probably the greatest impact for the cause of Christ than any man who's ever lived. Would you agree with that up to that point? Oh yeah. He definitely has. I mean, he's out there and he's, he's doing it. But here's what here's his confession. Look at verse 15. For what I am doing. I do not understand. I don't understand the full components of what drives me to do certain things. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Can you relate to that? Have you been there? Is this part of your story? Paul, how many of you find this kind of refreshing? Not to excuse our sin, not to say, well, Paul struggled. Imagine what I'm going to have to deal with. No, we all have the same Holy Spirit in us. 
The same Holy Spirit that indwelled the Apostle Paul indwells us if we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And guess what? Greater is he that's within us, speaking of the Holy Spirit, than he that is in the world, than anything that this world can throw at us, that our flesh can produce, that the world can produce. Greater is he that's in us. We need to realize that. We got to quit making excuses. We got, I mean, when we look at what Paul's confession is here and his, 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 his testimony, we can find comfort in that, but it's not an excuse if we want what God desires us to have. Even Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, did not always understand what was happening in his inner being, in that inner struggle. How many of us start the day with the best of intentions? Today's going to be different. But the end of the day where it seemed to be back at square one, maybe you had a, a great moment with God. Maybe uh, uh, you, you had a great devotion that morning. You went out there and you just wanted to live with him, live for him and with him and him live through you. And, and you wanted to go out there and you wanted to make a big impact that day. Maybe it started well, but sometimes those days don't end well, do they? Because there's that desire to want to do good. But then there's that contradiction in which we invite ourselves into when we yield to the flesh. We need to realize what we're up against. Next, the inner struggle causes the frustration. The frustration. How, how many of you can relate to the frustration of the Christian walk? I mean, it is. I mean, you're, you're totally aware. Think about it. You're totally aware of what the flesh wants. And you're totally aware of the expectations of the spirit. And you're sitting there and you're attempting to live a life that has impact that, that God can use to, to not only uh, deal with this world, but the world to come. But yet there's this, this weight. Look at chapter 7, verse 16. Paul says, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. Basically, he's saying the law was put there to, to show me my guilt, that the part that needs to be dealt with, okay? So he, when he does wrong, he realizes he's going against the nature and the character of God. He's aware of, he's aware of his guilt, okay? But then, verse 17, but now it's no longer I who do it, but, that's, but sin that dwells in me. Now, Paul's not passing off blame. He's not trying to say, hey, he's just outside of me that, that sometimes just comes out. I have no control. He's not saying that. He, what he's trying to get you to see is you need to be aware of what's going on here. It's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. He's basically saying, you know what? When I allow this to happen, I'm living contradictory or a contradiction of what God's called me to live. That's really what he's saying here. And then he says this, verse 18, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to, to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. Now, he's not talking about a lost, hopeless, sinful condition where he's in bondage. He's already told us we're no longer in bondage. What he's describing here is those moments where we seek to allow the old nature to take over when, it, when the new nature is operating. And by the way, let me just tell you this about everything in your life. You may not believe this, but it's true. According to Galatians, what we just read a while ago, listen, you're either, everything that you do, every moment of your day, every decision that you make, every reaction that you have, you are either doing one, one of two things. You're either responding in the flesh or responding in the spirit. There's no middle ground here. There's not one, it's not one of the things where that's just a gray area. Uh -uh. It's going to be one or the other. It's going to be a response of sin 
or a response that God's purposes are working in and through you. And so then he goes on. He says this, verse 19. For, for the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I seem to practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Again, he's talking about the contradiction. He's not passing off his sin. He's not saying this is greater than I am. He's not saying that. What he's saying is I'm living a contradiction. What kind of contradiction? Well, he's not called to live in the spirit where he's bound by sin anymore. That's not his identity anymore. That's not who he is. He's basically telling you, hey, I know that's not who I am anymore. Christ paid the price for that. And he's just being honest. But he is talking about the frustration. Paul is saying, I have the greatest intentions, but at times, I don't pull them off. Nothing at times seemed to change. Now, let me just say this. Do you remember when Peter, James, and John were in the garden of Gethsemane with Jesus? You remember that? Jesus said, you wait here and pray. I'm going to go over here and pray myself. So he goes and he prays himself. He comes back. What does he find him doing? Sleeping. Can you not tarry for one hour? Then he goes back to pray and he comes back and finds him what? Sleeping. You know what he says at that time? He says this. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You, you, you see it? You see what he's saying? Even Jesus admits there, there's that, 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 that inner struggle that goes on with each, within each of us. Did you know Jesus also dealt with the human struggle? Did you know that? The amount of temptations and all through his life, the devil threw everything he had at him, everything to, to entice his flesh, to make him act in a, in a different accordance than what God had called him to. And guess what? He never failed, never failed. You know why? Because someone had to be the sacrifice and it had to be a perfect sacrifice. And that's what he was. But everyone else who's ever lived, we all have to admit, we failed. We failed. Now, let's keep moving in this direction. L look on your outline. The confrontation of the inner struggle. Look at verse 21. Paul's not satisfied living. Listen, he's not satisfied by just talking about it. He, he wants there to be something good about this. So he goes on in verse 21. He says, I find then a law that evil is present with me. Now, the law here is not talking about the law. The law here is talking about the mode of operation, okay? We all have a mode of operation. That, that's the law that works within us, okay? He says that this evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God, that is the law, according to the inward man. But I see another law, the mode of operation in my members. Now, what are your members? Your members are anything that the flesh uses to reach outside its inner self and to engage in the world. What you see, what you put before you, what you feel, what you taste, what you, all those things. So he's saying, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what is right. And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. He's saying my members, my flesh, it just, it reaches out. Now, let me ask you this. Does the Bible ever reveal where Paul acted contrary to what the Spirit was leading him to do? 
You remember he and Barnabas? You remember the second missionary journey? He and Barnabas get into it. And they basically kind of leave it almost unresolved. And both of them went their own way. And one took someone. I mean, you could say, hey, that was a plan of God all along. To split the missionary team. So there's double impact. Yes, yeah, very much so. But I'm just here to tell you what I read in all that is Paul had a bad attitude. He did. We don't really see a whole lot of reconciliation at that moment. I think he came back and pulled that off. But there's a lot going on there. So when he says, I'm under the law of sin, law in this context means mode of operation. Uh, it's just like the law of gravity. What does gravity do? It brings you down. It not only brings you down, it brings everything down. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I used to didn't have skin under my chin that just kind of dangled there. I was sitting there the other day. Look at you. Everybody's doing that. See? If you're over 50, I can guarantee you, you got something hanging there. And I remember sitting there, and I don't know why I did this in the mirror. I started doing this, you know. I started, this is going one way. My head's going, what is going on with that? Why did I bring that up? Oh, oh, the law of gravity. <laughs> it's pulling. It's pulling. It's, it, it just, it works that way. Listen, I went down, uh, uh, suppose I go down to the beach and I find a dead seagull laying there on the ground. And suppose I, I pick the dead seagull up. I know you're thinking gross. I've never done this, but let's just suppose I did. And I pick it up and I throw it in the air. Is it going to fly? No, it's dead. What's gravity going to do to it? Plop. It's not going anywhere. Now, what is that telling us? There is no life in the seagull any longer. And so when I throw it up, the mode of operation that works in that seagull is gravity. You see what I'm saying? Listen, the mode of operation when it comes to the flesh is like gravity. It brings us down. We got to realize, and there has to. Now, if all of a sudden I had this special touch and God chose to heal the seagull and bring it back to death, and there's a resurrection, I throw it up in the air and it flies off. First of all, that would really freak me out. But anyway, what has just taken place? It's been made alive. It can overcome the law of gravity, it can overcome the law that pulls me down because there's been a death and now there's been a resurrection. And that's exactly how he describes our life now. We have died in Christ, but yet we are what? Resurrected. We don't have to go with the mode of operation any longer. If we do, it's because we choose to in our flesh. But we don't have to. Now, in Romans 7, the key words are I, me, my, myself. In Romans 8, which is what we're going to study over the next four weeks. The key phrase is the Holy Spirit in me. Do you see a difference? Okay, think about this. The Holy Spirit is not mentioned once in Romans 7. And that's why Paul is defeated. He's, he's describing a defeated life. Anyone who tries to live the Christian life in his own power with his own strength is going to fail. That's what Romans 7 is all about. That's why he's trying to convince us of. Victory over the flesh is only found in the Spirit. And that's what Romans 8 is going to tell us. I can't wait to get there. How about you? Next, we see the exhaustion of the inner spirit or the inner struggle. How many of you sometimes you just get tired of being tempted? Same old stuff. 
You get tired of fighting the battle. Paul can identify with that. Look at Romans 7, verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about the flesh. He's talking about the things that the things of the flesh, listen, always operate in a way of destruction. It seeks to destroy our peace. It seeks to destroy uh, uh, the joy in our life, the love that we can have for another person. It, that's, what the, that's what happens. And he's saying, who's going to deliver me from this? Look, the word wretched in Greek literally means worn out from exhaustion. He's, he's exhausted. He's describing this struggle. It means having such an intense battle that you're absolutely out of energy. This describes many Christians. They have been fighting the battle so long and they just can't get victory. You know why? Because they're still living under shame, guilt. Still living there. Still living there. Living under sin and condemnation. Paul cries out in agony, God, I can't change. I cannot change in my own power. Who will rescue me from this body of death? He's gonna answer the question in Romans chapter eight, but he's setting it up for us. Now, when he says the body of death, I've told the Wednesday night crowd this, but do you know what that literally meant? It's kind of gross if you really think about it. In some regions of the culture back then in that century, did you know that if you committed a crime by murdering someone and it was found that that was the case, do you know what they would literally do to you? They would chain you to the body that you murdered. You couldn't get away from it. Now think about that. That's gross, isn't it? That's the way he's describing our flesh. Something that is decaying, something that if left undone, if, if we don't break that, that chain, it will bring our destruction. And he's literally looking around the culture and saying, hey, where's an example of this? Oh, I know what it could be. How about when they start chaining dead people to, to live people? He's talking about who's going to deliver me? Listen, everywhere he went, the body of death was with him. Every time he got into bed, he carried it with him. Every time he got up in the morning, it was continually there, reminding him of his guilt, his shame, his crime, his condemnation. Paul says, that's the way I feel. I, I, I can't get rid of my old sin nature. Paul wanted victory over the flesh. When you come to despair, listen, this is what I found out in my own personal life. When I come to the moment of despair, many times that is the greatest opportunity for victory in my life. When I get sick of it, when I say enough is enough, and I say, you know, I don't want this anymore in my life. I want God to do a work. He's, he's really describing this. So how do we go from despair to victory? Romans chapter 8. We'll look at that in the coming days. Next, we see the resolution of the, to the inner struggle. Paul is at the end of his rope in verse 24. He says, I'm doomed. What a wretched man did I find out myself as. I'm worn out. I'm sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. How many of you know how that feels? He then gets a flash of hope, an answer. Romans 7, verse 25, here it is. I thank God through the Lord Jesus, our Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, what he's saying is he's talking about victory. He see, the answer is not gonna come through your flesh. As I said before, you can't beat it into shape. You can't discipline it. You can't negotiate it in a positive way. You just have to kill it. You have to put it to death. That's the only way you can pull it off. He goes on, he says, you know, he says, 
Who will rescue me from this law, this body of death? Verse 25 is the answer. Thanks be to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way you'll win the inner struggle is to let the Holy Spirit lead through you. Next, we see the inner lessons. I'm just going to fill in the blank for you here. I want you to go back and study this. This is very interesting. It goes and uses the same verses we've already looked at. First of all, here's the inner lesson. Admit our warped impressions. Our warped impressions. Admit that we don't have all the answers. Admit that our flesh will always let us down. You see, the problem with many of us sitting here today is we still think there's gratification in the flesh. And there's not. It may be momentarily, but it won't be lasting. I'm here to tell you that. And some of you already know that. Let me tell you what the enemy does. He entices you to operate in the flesh. And he says, oh, this will lead to gratification. And the moment you get there, guess what? You do that. Maybe there's a moment of gratification, but guess what? The enemy amps it up a little bit more and you start going the way of the enemy and it leads to destruction. Sexual sin does that. That's the reason there's times I'll meet with people and they'll say, I never dreamed I was capable of doing that. You know what they did? They chose not to walk in the spirit. They walked in the flesh and they dabbled in it. And then guess what? The enemy said, well, let's carry it a step further because you know what? The flesh, let me tell you this, if you haven't figured this out, the flesh is never satisfied never satisfied. And the only way you can get rid of that desire and that satisfaction, you have to crucify it. It's the only way. Got to cut it off. Next, admit our wayward imperfections. Look on your outline. Powerless to change in the flesh. Power to change in the spirit. Can't do it in the flesh. Abandon our wretched limitations, excuse me, imitations. Abandon those things. Quit, quit making excuses. Next, abandon our wretched limitations. Why? Because it builds unrealistic standards. How many of you think that you're the only person or the only Christian who's ever dealt with certain things in your life? And you think everybody else has it all together, but you're sitting here in this struggle and you're living all by yourself in your own little world and you've never talked to another Christian, got on a, uh, beyond a surface level and you don't know really the inner struggles of Christian living because you've never put yourself maybe in a connect group or maybe where people are just honestly talking about their struggles and praying for one another. Did you know that's what we need to be there for? But so many of you are living this Christian life all alone. And I'm here to tell you, if you let that continue, the enemy will, will destroy you with that loneliness because he will. He'll isolate you out. That's what the enemy does. You got to seek communion and fellowship, not only with God, but with each other. I told you many times our testimony, we were in a church in Wilmington and, and I told you this uh, many years ago or maybe recently, but I remember going to that church thinking everybody else has it all together, but me and my wife, we were struggling in our marriage. We, we were, we were struggling almost in every area of our life. And, and you know what, you know what the problem was? It was twofold. Number one, we didn't live, we weren't a part of a church that seemed to be very transparent. Everybody seemed to have it all together. Everybody wanted you to make, everybody wanted you to make them think that they had it all together. But another problem we had is this. We didn't connect into a group where we could really find out what was going on in other people's lives. Y'all, we need that. We need each other when it comes to that. Not just to come around and have a big crime pity party. No, we need to come together and hear, you know, me and my wife, we dealt with that 20 years ago. And I'm here to tell you, that was one of the toughest seasons in our marriage. 
Hey, let me tell you, you know, when I went through that time in my life, when, when, when I was a middle-aged man and, and I didn't know where to turn and I had these thoughts that just seemed to come out of nowhere. One of the toughest times I've ever gone through was middle age, me personally. Some of the things that hit my mind, I was shocked. Some of the things I dealt with, shocked. The darkness that seemed to close in on me at that time of my life. Then I started reaching out. Started talking to other men. Yeah, I remember those days. Those were tough days. I could have really destroyed my life during that time if I'd have yielded to what was coming to my mind and the way the enemy was using that season of my life to stir up things in me. And then I hate to tell you this, but I also talked to men that said, yeah, let me tell you, that was the most destructive time in my life. That's when I left my wife. That's when I abandoned my kids. I've never gotten over that. I've heard both stories. But y'all, we need to be there for one another. We need to learn to be transparent. Look, look on your outline. Why? It builds unrealistic standards. Uh, number two, how? Be transparent. That's how we got to go with it. Next, affirm our willing intention, willful intentions. What did Paul say in verse 19? For the good that I will to do, I do not do. Verse 21, the one who wills to do good. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Verse 24, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's sitting there talking about his honesty. He's trying to say, you know something? These are things that I want to affirm. These are things that I want to be present in my life. We have to do, to start to win this battle, we have to do the same thing. We must affirm what is right, not affirm what is wrong. Not rationalize why we think we need to do this over here but to affirm the truths of God's word in our life. That's the key. Next to inner victory, there's a cry of despair versus the shout of victory. The cry of despair is in verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? The shout of victory, I thank God through the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord. Next, failure of ritual versus freedom of religion. Let me tell you why many of us don't experience true growth in Christ. Why sometimes we have a hard time relating to the sermon we talked about today. It's because many times we're caught up in ritual and religion. And we come here and we believe we're supposed to be this way when we enter this place. And this way when we enter that place. And we find that, you know, we just play in the game. It's about relationship. It's about looking what the Spirit of God wants to bring into our lives and embrace it and to say that it is good and God wants the best for me and God doesn't mean things will be easy. We're gonna talk about that in chapter eight. But boy, when things are tough, man, this is my only hope. You see, when things are tough, when it comes to religion and ritual, you know what we tend to do? God, where are you? Well, he might not have never been there with you because you tried to approach it on your own terms with your religion and your ritual. Oh, and it's gotta be this way and that way or it just doesn't feel right. No, it's a relationship. Application, do you recognize this inner conflict? And then second of all, what is your strategy to win the conflict? I want to conclude with this. If you're going to pull that up. The conclusion is the reality of living out. Galatians 2.20 is this. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in, in me. This is the key to overcoming the flesh and everything else. Look at the next screen. 
So here's where we've been in our journeys through Romans so far. We are the believer. If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you come to God, come to him on, on the terms God set forth through repentance and faith. Guess what? You're living under grace. We saw that in Romans 6, 14. Go back and look on the internet if you want to go find these sermons. That's where he's called us to live under grace. Therefore, when we're living under grace, we're living above sin. We saw that three weeks ago or two weeks ago. We're living above the law. We saw that one last week. And we're living above our flesh. And that's what we talked about today. So if you're to say, okay, what should my life look like as a believer? There it is right there. That's what Paul is trying to tell us. And there's some more that's to come. Would you pray with me? Would you stand to your feet, please? Father, we just come to you now. And we just thank you for your word. And Lord, I think every one of us in this room can identify with what we saw Paul's confession as, as, as that inner struggle. And Father, I just pray for Christians that are here in this room, Lord. And, and Lord, they know where they are. I, I've been there my own life. And, and it seems like I'm catering more towards the flesh than I am the spirit. Father, I know that when that takes place in my life, uh, uh, we wonder where the joy goes, where the peace goes. Anytime we go through the spirit, I mean, go through the flesh and move in that direction, we're walking away from peace. We're walking away from true love that you have for us. We're walking away from true fulfillment. We're walking away from joy. But Father, when we yield to the Spirit, there's just so much more about what our life means and what it takes. And the relationships that you place in our lives become more real. They become more genuine when we walk in the Spirit. And Father, I just pray if there's a Christian here today that needs to maybe change directions, they recognize the inner struggle, but yet they realize they're catering to the Spirit, to this flesh and not the Spirit. Father, I pray for the one that may be here today that doesn't know you as our Lord and Savior. Uh, according to your word, it says that when we come to know you, our spirit is quickened. It means it's made alive. There's, a, there's another part of who we are, that a new motivation that comes into our life, a new expectation, a new uh, perspective. That's what you bring to us. And Father, I pray if they've never experienced that, that Lord, today they would, that they would come on your terms by confessing you as their Lord, by believing by faith that you are who you say you are and to, that, that they would turn from their sin and turn to you through repentance. We thank you for what you desire to do in Jesus' name. Amen.